is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, the premier ag tire and wheel supplier in North America. Get a grip. This is a continuation of number 84. Jared and I take a look at farm consolidation, rural America support, corporate mentality catching up with rural America, farm mentality and not growing up on a farm, and what the farm life and personal life mix looks like today. This whole conversation was an awesome one, and I was honored to have Jared as a guest. Now, I think... <clears throat> Farm consolidation, every at every downturn, there's always going to be some level of consolidation that happens, whether it's a mass consolidation or it's a, you know, you know no one's coming back to the farm. Well, I mean, I like your opinion on this. When I start looking at the reason for farm consolidations is, this, is that, you know, a farmer retires over here and he's got three kids, you know, two sons and a daughter or two daughters and a son or whatever, but there's not enough of land to support all of them. Right. Oh, it had, yeah. That happens all the time. Yeah, and there might they might all want to do it, but there's not enough. Like if you split it up, it can't. They're all three starved to death. Right. Doesn't work. <laughs> no, trying to do it. No. Doesn't work. So now you've got those guys. They're going back into some into some ag based, you know, job. Whether it be working mm-hmm. at a dealership or working for a seed company or a fertilizer company or whatever that is, to still do that. But now they're servicing the same farm ground they grew up on. In a completely different area, though, in a completely different facet. Do you see a lot of that now? Like, we see a lot of that. That's what's driving a lot of uh, consolidation now. There's just not enough to come back to? No, oh, yes, of course. I mean, I was I was fortunate, and I was the only one that was coming back to my operation. Um, but, yeah, I've seen that. And I, and I have families, that, you know, that, that have that – have, kind of worked around that where they form companies and like all the kids work off farm and in major cities, but they come home and like run the cattle operation together. So there's workarounds, but I think you brought up an interesting point of where people who were raised on the farm, there's not enough, there's not enough land for everybody to come back and, you know, be the quote farmer guy or girl, whatever. So they do, they go take a job as a seed salesman, equipment salesman, you know, or within the agriculture industry. And I think that's happened long enough that I, I would be interesting to see the numbers of the actual producers and then the number of people that support the producers that are in business. Yeah. And I guess that would include, you know, elevators, equipment, uh, you know, input suppliers, financiers, you know, banks. I mean, because for everyone, like if I have, you know, I every everybody's got to have at least one of those. I've got a crop consultant, an elevator manager, a banker, uh, you know, equipment dealer, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's not a one-to-one relationship, but there's an awful lot of the industry, you know, and that's where you see this gradual grind to a halt, you know, it, the, the re- repercussions of low grain prices, I think are just now, you know, they're making their way further out in the industry. You know, it starts with, Hey, the farmer doesn't have any money, but he's going to find a way to make that payment. 
Well, when he stops buying the equipment and the payment stops there, then you see that lurch, kind of what you were referring to in the 13, 14, you know, that that kind of hit that every, the, the dealers took. Well, now you, I bet, I bet you're seeing it some and maybe not publicized, but in like people cutting back on chemicals, you know, we're not buying pickups, you know, we're not, we're servicing. I would, I would love to see a graph of you guys's equipment sales versus parts sales. And I'll bet they're almost inverse or, or service. Mm-hmm. I, Cause I, I would say that when your sales went down, your parts and service picked up. Cause I know I've, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe not one to one, but like no. you alluded to earlier, yeah. It, it takes all those facets to keep your dealership open, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, you can easily see that where, you know, through 10, 11, 12, you know, basically from 2006 all the way through, the sales department was making the most money and they were the ones supporting the dealership, right? Parts of service were staying busy, but a lot of their business that they had was, was just getting new equipment ready to go. And, and yeah. you know, not that they weren't repairing used equipment. I'm like, you know, people don't start throwing spears at me here but <laughs> you're gonna you come know. in tomorrow and start <laughs> come after you don't rocks at me here but you know they were but not to the level they are now not to the level they are now i mean a lot of the stuff that they were doing in the shop a lot of the stuff that they were doing on some repairs and stuff like that was getting used trade-in used equipment ready to sell i mean that was a lot of yeah. that stuff you know um because then we were rolling equipment it would go from you know you knew farmer a bought a new piece he took his piece to farmer b and farmer b took took his piece to farmer C and all the way down the line to where you're left with, you know, whatever it was, 9,500, 9,600, whatever it was at the time. And now you got, you know, farmer A buys a new piece and farmer B isn't there to buy that piece. Um, and can, farmer C can't afford to buy anything right now. Yeah, so exactly. Kind of, where, what do we do? You know, that's, and that's where that whole kind of dynamic happened in 13, 14, 15, you know, and that's, that's what you saw there. But I mean, but back to your point earlier, we were talking about, you know, farmer can't, you know, farmers retiring and Brenton, the, the kids can't come back to the farm because not enough there. Every one of these ag podcasts I listen to, every guest that comes on there, almost all of them, 90% of them that I've listened to anyway, they have something to do. Like, you know, I grew up on a family farm and or a dairy or whatever, and um, I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a VOAG teacher, and I come home for the summertime to do this, or I live in you know, city A over here and I do something over here and then I come back on the weekends to help, to help dad run the ranch or whatever it is. Yep. Yeah. So that is an overwhelmingly large uh, theme that you hear time and time again on, on those, on those podcasts. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've, I've noticed <laughs> that too. I mean, I'm strictly 100% on the farm, but when I tell people this, like if you look at the scale it takes for me to do that, you know, I've got myself and then two employees we run around 500 cows, cow-calf operation, and I'll have almost 2,000 acres of corn and another 1,000 acres of wheat, you know, other crop, you know, around 3,000, 3,500-acre farm, you know, that many cows. I'll trade commodities. And I told, I jokingly said, this is my fourth job now because I'm going to be a podcaster. And, <laughs> and it doesn't pay anything. That's it's a, a nice, re- it's a nice uh, outlet. Yeah. But the reality is, is that, you know, I'm looking at every option that's on the table and this is just another revenue stream that doesn't exist yet. But if it, if at some point somebody likes it enough that they say, Hey, I want to pay you to do it. Great. You know, maybe I can do a little bit less of, of a B or C because this is a lot less taxing on a human than going out and, 
you know, doing the physical labor that it takes to do all the other enterprises. But this, I'm talking about my family and two hired men who get a paycheck. That's three people. And look at the the land and the revenue that's generated just to support that. Mm-hmm. Now keep it, you know, there's also, you know, dealers, there's all, there's all the other things that it supports within the area. But, but with that being said, to your point, if a guy only has a thousand acres or a couple hundred, you know, even a hundred cows, yeah, you're, you're not going to make a living. You're not going to pay your health insurance, pay your house, pay your bills, pay, you know, all, everything it takes to live, whatever that may be. You're not going to do that unless you have a big, you know, a big enough operation that it has the inertia and the capital to move forward to do that. Yeah. And, and so that in the health, the health insurance is one of the, you look at that, most people can't afford to, to not have a job that has insurance because, you know, that's 20, 20 grand a year. If you have crappy health insurance, if you, if you don't have a job that provides it. So, you know, you don't have to have a great job and you're already making way more than you can pay yourself if you were just a standalone operation. And I think another thing, the guys that do do it all by themselves or don't have an outside job, you'll find that they do several things. You know, there's very few people that just farm or just ranch or just, you know, I know people that, that own C, C dealerships and they farm, yeah. you know, so there's, there's a lot of on-farm second and third jobs that are out there, but, but yeah, in the, in the interviews, you're, you nailed it. There's the majority of people I'd say work off farm and, you know, they call themselves farmers, but that, that may not be their primary occupation. Yeah. And it's not because they don't want it to be. That's just the economics of it. Right. It's just dollars and cents. That's exactly right. But yeah, they had, I, I can't remember what podcast it was that I listened to of yours and you were talking to somebody and I can't remember who it was, but, but the, but the whole point of the, of the message you're getting across was that you took a beating one day on, on some of the commodities and then you had to teach yourself how to be a commodity trader basically and how, mm-hmm. how, to, how to work that, that into the business. And I, that's, the, that's the one thing I'd struggle with day in and day out sometimes is that the disconnect that I sometimes feel between what I would call a farmer and then what I would call a producer. I mean, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a lot of guys that just completely just want to go out and just farm it. They have such a high passion for farming that they kind of let the dollars and cents side of the business just evaporate in front of them. No, I think, I, I think you're, and I see that more of a, like a traditional old school type who who are excellent excellent farmers? Most of those guys will out yield the business people hands down. Absolutely. Like they know the little tricks. They know how, they know how to produce. But you do have that cross curve where the people who maybe aren't the best producers but do a better job at their business. It's sad, but they will be around longer than the than the better farmers. Yeah. And and I don't say that I mean lightly because you know people who do the best are supposed to win. You know, that's like every movie, <laughs> but, but that's not always the case. It's just somebody who, who was maybe a little more disciplined in their marketing or just flat out lucky. You know, there's some guys who sell at the high or just, you know, for whatever reason, they're just lucky guys, you know, or girls. They just happen to, to hit things the right way. And sometimes it's based upon education. Sometimes it's experience or just luck, but yeah, there's definitely, and I don't know that it's just something that's cultural, you know, people, and I grew up 
carpet farming, pushing the little tractors around. You know, I guess John Deere was my equipment. I, the first thing I learned about green was John Deere. Now, as a, an adult and as a producer, I'm far less brand loyal. And it's not that John Deere's done anything wrong. I just view it as simply as a piece of equipment. You know, I, I, I used to drive all Fords. Now I have a Ford, a Chevy, and a Dodge all in the driveway, different things. And it's it's not be, you know, it's probably because Ford kept throwing diesels and they were just falling apart left and right. <laughs> so they did, they did do something. <laughs> but, you know, the point is, is that I think you're going to see this. Maybe guys aren't going to be so tied to, well, I'm, I'm a John Deere man or I'm a Case man. I think you're going to see more as business managers come in, really look at just, okay, how much – how much horsepower am I buying? How much dollar does it cost? How much is it going to cost me to change my fleet from one color to the other? You know, it's people are going to look at that. I think more so going forward because more of your managers are going to be in power and less of your producers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's not anything that the producers are doing wrong or that the managers are even doing right. It's just the, the evolution of the industry as I see it. Yeah. No, I, I see that. I mean, I agree with that hundred percent. I've had this conversation with, several large producers <clears throat> about, you know, as I said, in the next five to seven years, you'll have somebody that does what I do at the dealership, inventory management. That's, that's my whole key is understanding, you know, washout cycles and, and life cycles and all these different things of equipment. And when is the best time for me to get that piece, to trade that piece in from that customer? Because I know I've got five or six or seven customers that, are, that will buy something like that predictively, you know? Yeah. You'll, you'll have someone like me working for you. That's you own. You'll no longer will you even have a. You might come and eat dinner with with us when we go out and eat lunch or something like that. But my dealings are going to be with somebody that doesn't even care about what's happened with the farm as far as the the bushels per acre produced and all that kind of stuff. They're going to be looking at okay, I can take this tractor right here. I can buy it new. I can run it for X number of hours. I can, I'm going to have this level of repair in it. And here's my risk. Here's my efficiency and here's my return. All yeah. those things are going to wrap in there and they're going to do things. I, I really believe that there's going to be as a, as a, as a whole, these, these, these big, huge, you know, mud, you know, turns and those kind of things that you start seeing happen where guys are buying 12 or $15 million worth of equipment in one swath every year or every two years. Whatever. I think that's going to slow down because dealerships will not be able to digest that. No, there just won't well, be enough farmers to send it to. No. Well, and I think what you, what the whole thing you just alluded to is the corporate mentality will finally catch up in rural America. And it's, and it's, I mean, what, what, what you're describing happened to every other business, what, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't know the number, but you know, the, the corporate cost analysis side of it is just going to enter agriculture. Yep. You know, well, I cut my teeth in this business on the construction side. I was working, I was selling, you know, ag, ag stuff at a, at a Caterpillar dealership in Wichita, Kansas, where I'm from. And that's how they viewed the ag side, and that's why they weren't successful. They were way ahead of their time because they were dealing with, um, that's why that, that model didn't work or hasn't even been, hasn't been successful with, you know, a construction and ag mentality combining together is that the construction is, side of the business is so much in that you know they have a buyer they have these different people that control the assets and this other stuff where the construction side of the business can't get their head wrapped around 
why this guy has such an emotional attachment to this machine. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. you know, dad drove it my, and then it was yes. his favorite tractor and I, I grew up in it and then my wife has driven it and, and she cuts all the hay. So this is her swather, you know, and, and all that stuff. They don't get that and they yeah. can't get their head wrapped around that. Well, and I think, I think that, I mean, I, like I said, I grew up in it. I remember the first tractor I drove, you know, I can, I have those memories. And so I get that and I see it so much more on social media, you know, like there's, if there's people around here that fix up old tractors and drive them around, I don't see them. I'm sure they're there. I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I guess it's a, it's right. something that happens somewhere where I don't live, but that culture is very much alive and well. I just don't see it, but yeah, that's, that's going to go away. Not because people don't embrace it, but you can only do it for so long before you don't have the money to, to operate like that. Yeah. You know, and I think there's always going to be enough capital as farms grow. There's always going to be enough capital to do what they need to do as far as equipment goes. Whereas dealerships is what we're going to start facing is, well, take your, take your example for a while. Let's just say we fast forward that. And this was, you know, you got all these family farms in the last five years, right? Yeah. Well, you took five, by doing that, there's five less customers out there to buy stuff now. Oh, yeah. So now I have to worry about, okay, well, all right, so Jared bought these machines over here. He's going to trade these in. Who, am I, who the hell am I going to sell them to? I got to go find somebody outside of my area to go sell them to now. Or oh, I yeah. send them overseas or whatever it is. That, that's why I think there's that, that paradigm, that paradigm shift that we're going to see in this, in this business is not that far away. Um, on my side of the business, anyway, I don't think it's that far away. I think we're going to be start seeing... More and more, you know, people that have, you know, I'm a multi-million dollar business owner. I just happen to be in agriculture instead of I'm a I'm a, I'm a farmer who makes a million dollars a year. You know what I'm saying? That that's where yeah. that that paradigm shift is is coming, and we're starting to see it, and it's going to get more wide scale over the next, you know, five to ten years. Yeah. No, I think you're I think you're dead on with the demographic, the way you're looking at it like that. Because, I mean, I I see it. From an elevator standpoint, you look at how many people bring, you know, X number of people bringing, a, a, you know, commodities into an elevator. You know, if there used to be 50 producers in an area, you're down to 15, you know, major suppliers to a grain elevator. The same is true for, for banks, equipment, you know, it's across the board. Yeah, there's fewer and fewer people. And, and the people that are left, like myself, and I would, I'd venture that if you from when you started to what you are now, I'd, I'm just going off here. I'll bet you have far less foot traffic in and out of your store because the guys here still doing it don't have time to come hang out and drink coffee. Or I, I mean, is that the way it is there? Cause that's how I feel it is here. No. When I was out here, when I'm out here, so working out here in Western Nebraska where I'm at, I don't see a whole lot of that. Any guys come in the dealership and they hang out, you know, they go bug a customer. You can, you can always tell when it rained. Right, because there's guys <laughs> guys that come in. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know. they, they, that's that's where they'd go to shoot yeah. shit. Right, they come in to hang out for a little bit, or it's winter time, and you know they kind of got the chores done or whatever, and they come hang out for a little bit. Um, there was one dealership I worked at back in Kansas, and every morning you come in, there might be twenty farmers sitting there drinking coffee and just hanging out, okay. and you know it's just the dynamics of of, of what, what you see. But um, no, it's not. When I look at the generation that we're dealing with now that's coming in, I'm talking like the guys that are um, like 10 years younger than we are, the 30-year-old yeah. guy, the 35-year-old guy, the 28-year-old guy, 
they don't really want someone to just stop by and hang out. And a lot of our older salesmen can't just are just completely like out of their mind with with that approach. You know what I mean? Like, you need something, text me, email me. Um, yeah, email I'm, I'm, just email my quote. I just you don't need to come by the phone. Just email it to me. I'll take a look at it and I'll I'll send you back any questions I got. And I, and I guess I'm I'm in that I'm in that camp. You know, if if I'm getting a part and I see the sales guy, he's a friend. I'll go talk to him. Yep. But you know, if someone wants to come out and see me, it's like, man, I don't have I don't have ten minutes to stop and and do this. Or if I have ten minutes, I want to be sitting at home with my family. Or yep. you know, I I. People, I think, are are in. I don't know what. Maybe we're too convenienced with texts and like, you know, that face to face personal relationship. It is definitely something that you know. It's nice, but I think it is it is going away. And like yeah. you said, some people are adapting to it, and other people it does drive them nuts. And, yeah. Well, you know, like I'll, I'll I'll get phone calls, and it's like, man, I got to go load a sprayer. Can I help you real quick? Right. <laughs> you know? And and I don't want to. I. I on my end, as a guy who I know they need to talk to to do their business, you know, I don't want to disregard them, but at the same time, it's like I can't, I can't do all this at once. Yeah, you know. Well, I think so. So Regina and I just that's on on the podcast there with me. She is, uh, she's like super farm girl, right? And she like loves it, has such a passion for it. Grew up on a family farm, you know. Moved out here and got married to a to a, a, a farmer you know, generational farmer, they've got cattle, the whole nine yards, and she's, you know, pig and shit. She loves it, right? Good, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's her thing. That's her it's thing, man. She loves it, and, and she's really good at what she does at the dealership and couldn't couldn't make it without her. But what I am, what I hear from her is that, you know, well, I've got my kid's stuff over here. I'm, you know, I'm on this board over here, or I'm on, the you know, the, the Farm Bureau board or this, that, or the other thing. Plus, Technology allow, has allowed them to do, you know, you know, like you just said, you have less people working on the farm than you did because of technology, right? And so you have to do more things yourself than you had to do previously, yep. but in the same amount of time, right, with less with less help to do it. So it's just there's so much more going on right now than, than was going on maybe when, when your parents were involved in it. You know, they, you know, this it was a different dynamic and... I don't know how to say it, but there's just more people are involved in more things and the they want to be more involved with what's going on in their family. Yeah. They want that family well, you, time. You you nailed a point, and this goes back to the demographic argument. You said that she's on, you know, uh, multiple boards. I I have that too. I'm on a farm bureau, a or elevator board. Uh, I was on a fair board. I've been asked to be on other board and it's not because i'm like great at board work it's because i'm a young person in a sparsely populated agriculture area and all these things exist well there used to be plenty of people to fill those roles and i'm talking like you got school boards you got elevators you've got any number of community things that the community still needs those volunteer people i mean just heck you think volunteer fire department you know at where we're at you know how it is, Western Kansas, Oklahoma, oh, yeah. you know, all those things need to exist, but there's, you know, when those five families that I'm now farming land aren't there, well, that's a lot of people who are, who can't even be a warm body in a board. 
Right. So that's, you know, so keep in mind that we're now doing more things over more acres. Now there's also more social side, you know, social responsibilities, you know, because I think everybody should do things for their community. They should get on boards. If you are a person of, of means or, or, or well adept in your head where you can figure it out, you should go serve on these. You should volunteer to do these things. But there's a point that you're like, man, I can't do any more. I can't get on any more stuff because everybody who's doing it is just spread too thin. Yeah. You know? And you got so, six kids. Yeah, and you got six kids. You know, I, I saw the day you're at T-ball turn, you're at T-ball games, you know, doing whatever you're doing, you know, oh, I, stuff well, every day. And I, we turned off TV five or six years ago now. I don't even know what it was. We we do Netflix and oh, yeah. it's not like we're yeah. we we didn't throw it out the window. We just we don't have it because it was like we don't have time to watch this. Yeah, you know I can scratch out a little time to do this stuff because it's a it's a you know it's something that has potential. But but there's other things that have to take. You know I might hire some more spraying done. You know I shuffle things around. But yeah, I don't I don't know what the word. You know w- when we do take vacations we shut everything off. Like yeah. you just got to find someone to do it. Cause for those days out of the year, you just got to disconnect. But yeah. Yeah. but yeah, you, and you really, and I look at it and I see people who are way more efficient than I am or who like work harder and get more things done. And I feel like I'm being lazy some days. It's like, man, I'm, I didn't get this done. And those people did that. Like I need to like, there's, there's, you can always do more, you know? Yeah. But that's what I always tell sales guys. I mean, if you're going to go out and talk to somebody, you you got to have a reason why you're going to talk to them. You know what I mean? And you have to set an appointment, let them know you're coming. I mean, it's a different thing if it's a cold call and your new salesman just dropping by, dropping off a card, say, hey, I'm a new sales guy for the area, you know, whatever. I get that part. But if I'm going to show up out to the farm and I'm going to, like, my plan is to sell you a combine while I'm out there, and it's going to be a, an hour-long conversation to have that, dude, it, you just can't show up and do that. you got to have and then express to them like this is going to increase your efficiency or it's going to mitigate some risk or it's going to, you know, whatever it's going to do, increase your cash flow, whatever it's going to do, you got to show up with a reason. And, yeah. and what, what is that reason why you're going to be there? And it's just, it's some, the old guys that are really good at what they do are having such a hard time adjusting to that. Yeah. And you, well, and in their defense, it's harder to come up with those reasons. Absolutely. <laughs> It's hard as hell right now to come up with a good reason to go talk it's to somebody. Like, it's like, what am I going to tell these guys? Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't, I mean, you know, and I, you know, and I don't know. I don't know how you do it because you, you'd almost need to know the ins and out of all of the business that they were doing, how they marketed their crops. Yep. You know, it's so complex. And, and the guys who are still doing it, I, I had a, I worked with a, a pig company that I lease some land for. And I, and I'm very fond of what one of their, their guys, their manager here, he'll make the statement that, you know, as far as in relation to the pig industry, he says, you know, everybody went through the, the crash, the consolidation, like they've, you know, all the struggles that the pork industry went through to get to where they're at today. He makes the statement that the people that are left are the all-stars and he's right. And I sometimes feel like we're getting that to that threshold in agriculture. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're still, if you've survived prior to the good times and then you rebounded a little bit when prices were good, if you're still going now and you can survive the downturn, if you went through all those up and downs and you're young enough to still 
want to do it for the next 10 or 15 years, you know, you're, you're talking about a pretty small group. You're getting into that. If you're still doing it, you're in the all-stars. Yep. You know, see it. I saw it. You really saw the guys that were, that set their, their operation up that, you know, seven, $8 corn was, was going to stick around. That was just going to be the new norm. And so settle in boys. Enjoy the ride. Cause this is going to be gumdrops and candy canes for the rest of our life. <laughs> as soon as that, awesome. as soon as that well shut off, holy shit, did it just come crashing down around them? And it, it was just yeah. a matter of within a year, a lot of there was just so many of them that just buckled and were done. Yeah. See, I started in '99 was the first year I came back and started doing books, mm-hmm. and my first corn crop that I actually raised. Well, I see '95 is when I actually started looking at books. '99 is when I came back here. So my first corn crop was around 2000, 2001, and I was horrible. I it was. It was garbage. Like I, I couldn't. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I had seen the corn planter run, but I literally learned how to run a corn planter and went and planted two or three circles. You know, like my first crops, mm-hmm. and I think they were they were horrible. And and at the time, the idea was if you could get three dollars, you had just shot the moon. You know, we were selling corn for dollar eighty, two bucks, and I was running budgets. You know, I'm a smart kid right out of college, and if I could pencil in eighteen cents a bushel profit, I felt like that was like awesome and so something that i learned early on was like it's just not always going to work and sometimes it's about how do you lose the least amount of money that year so when i started out it was very lean and i i was very fortunate and to have a platform that was well enough off that i could i could wreck the wreck the car before i learned how to drive it right but some of those guys like you said that started off with high prices like they don't have that that temperament or they don't have that knowledge of things can be bad. Right. So, you know, it's not that they're they're malicious or they're ignorant. It's just that that's that's their environment. You know, they don't know any better. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's sad because you're like you watch these guys and you see them and they're high flying and you're like, boy, you know, like an old timer just sitting there. You know what's you know what's coming down the hill. Anybody that stayed in it long enough knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And then when it did, it was like. You know, no one wants to say, I told you so. But then at the same time, it's like, well, here you go. Mm-hmm. And for and the same thing can be said. We're sitting here, you know, everybody's pretty miserable. There are going to be good times again. Oh, yeah. Things are going to get good. You're going to have $5 corn. You're going to have $2 feeders. You know, there's going to be a good time again. It's just a matter of, you know, no one knows when it's going to be. You know, you got to have enough faith to stay in it to do it. And that's back to the point either, you know, some people want, they want it always to be good. Well, you've got to take the good with the bad in this. Right. Otherwise, uh, you know, it, my guess is if you can't take the good and the bad, you probably aren't even doing it anymore. Yep. You know, so that's, that may be a moot point to some people. Yep. Well, I always, I always thank my dad every day that I see him. I, I, I poke fun at him every time that I go back home and talk to him. You know, I didn't grow up on a farm, so I'm not a farm kid, right? So I, I just fell into this industry by accident. And um, if I should be doing anything that's a family generational thing, I should be in the oil field somewhere. And, and in 1999, I was going to Kansas State University. I was going to switch my major, and I was going to be a geology major because I'm going to go all over the world and find oil, right? How mm-hmm. cool would that be? <laughs> my dad looked at me and goes, that, that's really probably the dumbest thing you could do. You know, I mean, you're you're going to go into something that you're going to have a job one day, and you and the next day you won't. 
my joke I always gave him all the time was like, Dad, you told me not to go into the oil field because it was so volatile, and I, I picked the next the next safest thing is agriculture, you know. So <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> so, but yeah, but you know that that you bring up an interesting point that you didn't grow up on a farm and ranch. I mm-hmm. I my mom was a computer science professor and my my stepdad my father who raised me is a high school principal and a basketball coach so i didn't i didn't grow up on a farm i was i I always felt like and i still to this day feel a little bit like an outsider you know i i didn't have the farm kid experience i came back and started a farm now i worked on one but i never had the like you know growing up out in the country type thing Mm -hmm. and you said you'd and i do find this is kind of a thread between when i'm talking to people the people who don't have that ingrained, almost pre-existing condition of farming, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I say that jokingly, but I'm dead serious that, that if they don't work programmed from a young age with some of the some of the ideas, they typically tend to do better, and that they don't have that preconceived notion no. of this is how it has to be. Maybe a little more. Uh, a little more objective in the way we look at things, you know, and don't have the quite the level of attachment, you know, and that's not to say that those people that have that are bad. I mean, if you grew up riding on your, you know, I grew up riding on the 4440 seat, just like everybody else with your head as you're sleeping, banging on the window with my granddad and his chewing tobacco right next to me. I have fond memories. Great. I love them. You know, there's nothing wrong with those and nothing wrong with guys that have them from their dads or some other generation. But it seems like there is that disconnect. People that didn't grow up on it or associated with it, to me, just seem to have a better handle on on being farmers now. You know, and, and what my question is, is like, as I grow up or people that maybe are first generation farmers, like, will you see that with their kids? Will, will their second, third, you know, like, will that pattern repeat itself? It's just, it's like a cycle that just got restarted, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Now, there's sometimes we have conversations around here when it when it comes to the farming and like the true hardcore farming into the business or ranching or whatever it is. Dude, I feel like a foreign exchange student in some place <laughs> where they're talking something like some cultural thing. I have no idea what they're talking about because I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like I understand yeah. what they're talking about, but I don't get why they're so fired up about it. You know what I mean? And and we've talked about that a few times on on my on this podcast here where I'm like I just you know I don't I don't get that. I mean I don't understand why that's such a big deal, but it's that. It's that genetic, I don't know if genetic's not the right word, but I think it is to some, you know, yes, 95% of the people that work here, if they didn't work here, what they want to do, they want to go farm or ranch or whatever it is that they want to go do. And most of them grew up on a farm or they, you know, what you know, there's, they didn't have a farm to go back to and they, they long for that, you know, and they want to go back to that, to that whole thing. So it's a, I'm a, a cool I'm, I wonder, and, and just in your conversations you've had with people about this, do you think they actually love the producing on the farm or do they love the independence of being able to like, you know, because I don't, and I think we fall into this trap as farmers. Like we think it's unique to us, but wouldn't somebody who owns a, their own business, you know, the, the, is it the freedom aspect or is it the actual like farming and equipment? Like what, where do you, what do you think the draw is for people? Like when they say they want to go farm, mm-hmm. like what, what, there, I think it's to me, the there's there's the illusion, then there's the reality. But what do you think their illusion and reality is? Well, I think a lot of it is their nostalgia. They remember yes. that, you know, okay, I played football. I played a little college football, you know. And I remember the game and how yes. awesome that was. And 
And I remember yes. going out the going out of the tunnel and just the bands playing and you're jacked and ready to go run through a wall, you know? I, yes, I get it. I do. I don't remember the fourteen thousand sprints I did and lifting weights till I couldn't lift my arms over my head and eating you know, eating so much food that you felt like you're gonna throw up. You know, I d I don't remember that part, right? But I remember the smell. Like I still do it today. Like I'll go to a football game. Like I go back to where I played ball at in college, and I still smell the same smells. And I still my hair on the back of my neck stands up. And the band starts playing the fight song. And the team runs out of the tunnel. And I'm like, yes, I'm gonna go strap up. Let's do it. You know, I still <laughs> yes. get that. But I don't. I don't want to go back to practice. You know, I don't want to do that part. So I think there might be some of that. You know, Aaron Fennell, he's a good example. Like he's a he's a machinery dork. That's his thing. You know, and. His end of the farming business that he likes so much is the equipment side of it. I mean, that, that's where he wants to spend his time and doing those things and, and doing tinkering with all that stuff. That's him. That's what he likes to do. I think a lot of guys just get wrapped up in, and they remember, you know, riding on the seat of the 4440 and their head banging against the glass, yep. falling asleep. They remember that stuff. Or, you know, the, the radio on the fender, how, how, how you had to turn it up so you could hear it over the roar of the engine. <laughs> You've heard yeah. all these stories. Yes. I mean, so that's the nostalgia part, I think, that they that they like, that they think back when they want to go back to. I don't think anybody right now is like, man, I should like to go farm today. It'd be great. I don't think too many people yeah. are saying that. Yeah. No, I and I I that's part of one of the things you nailed it is the nostalgia. Because whenever I and and I've told people this, maybe not on podcasts, but you bring up a great point. Farming and ranching was a hell of a lot more fun when I was a hired hand in high school working out there and it was like, Hey, you need to take these horses, you know, go get, get the horses and go gather bulls or go, go hook up this tractor, this sweep and go, go plow, you know, this for, you know, all I had was a job in my, and it was great because I loved doing the job. Whenever I took over the business side and I started figuring out that, Oh shit, this is, this is like money and money has to come in and it's going to go out. And sometimes it's more is going to go out than come, you know, when the reality set in that this was a business, that's when farming and ranching changed because it, it shattered that illusion, yeah. the, the nostalgic, the innocence that you had as a, you know, that, that young, it's cool because you're out doing it. And, and it's, it was just something that you loved. Like when the reality set in that, Oh, this is a business. <laughs> Right. it's yeah. not that you don't still like doing it. And I think I personally like the freedom, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I farm so that I can be free to do something like this, you know, to, yeah. if I, Hey, I want to start a podcast, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, and as much as anything, my takeaway from farming is that it's taught me that if you don't know something, you just go learn how to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know how to spray. I went and bought a sprayer and I had somebody show me and I learned before I know it, I know how to spray, yeah. you know, any anything is possible and it's weird you know it took me 20 years of farming and doing my own business and learning all that to get to the point you know maybe not 20 years but to get to where it's like i can do anything i want to i just have to commit to it and go you know have the discipline to follow it through yeah and whether you know that's the life lesson that i think you know if somebody wants to you know they say i want to go do this first okay are you serious about that? Because <laughs> when your dream gets shattered, you're still going to be sitting there with all this stuff, yep. you know? Yep. And I, that's, that's the divide that I see people that they haven't seen. They haven't came, came to that Canyon yet yep. with the, with the nostalgia. Yep. You know? they, they, most of them, 
weren't on the day-to-day side of the business. They were go plant, go you bet. herd them, go do this, go do whatever, you know, yeah. go cut well, out and, the steers and, and you know, whatever else. It was much easier, and I, I get this as a person who, you know, I've gotten, my wife is involved in the business, and she helps, you know, she sees the numbers and all that stuff, but my grandfather's this way, and I was for a long time. Man, it's just so much easier to keep it all in your head. You just do it because you know where everything is, and it gets done, it's efficient, but that also keeps the the door closed to, like, this is the reality, you know, then you create a whole another generation of people that they love it because all they have to do is go do the work. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. I do the work and money shows up in a paycheck. Yeah. Just, well, yeah. you know, and, and maybe that's, I don't know. There, there's a lot of cultural things that are tied up in agriculture and, and there's such a cross pollination with like your business, the, you know, I, I joke and I know you'll get this friends and I would like, okay, you know, what else are they going to sell us to John Deere dealership? Like you're going to get John Deere golf balls or John Deere toilet paper or John Deere. Like how much more shit can you put a logo on? Yeah. It's amazing that they get logos on, man. That's, I mean, it's I all kinds of stuff. All kinds and, of stuff. And, and people buy it. Like they don't yeah. put it on there and then try to force people. Like it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a culture, man. It's a, it's a whole, you know, it's a whole thing. Yeah. And I'm not knocking it, but well, I, I am I, a little bit. I'll tell you it's, that, that the merchandise side of this business is it's amazing what it is because I, I was on vacation one time and I had a, a John Deere hat and then I had and I don't know why I, I was asking someone they're from like New York City or something like that and I was just learned I got to know them you know they were they were in the room next to us and we always ended up at the pool at the same time and I started talking to him and I'm like okay let me ask you guys something you guys what what's a John Deere do Oh, they make farm equipment, really? Okay, great. What's uh, what's Massey Ferguson do? And they're like, I've never heard of it. And they're like, okay, well, how about Agco? You ever heard of it? You know, I started rambling. I, I was drawing logos on a piece of paper. And it's like, you know, what, what's the, you know. <laughs> they, couldn't, they didn't know. They did not know what it was. And and I'm not saying that it's anything, you know, bad about any of these other logos or anything like that. But it's just that brand is, it's just a, a, everyone knows what it is. Like, I see these stupid, like, music like award shows and somebody gets on stage and they got a John Deere hat on. I'm like, dude, I know for a fact that you have n- never in your lifetime even been to a farm, much less, you know, even know what a John Deere tractor, how to even operate one if you got in one. And it just, it makes me, it just makes me laugh because that's, they put logos on all kinds of stuff. I mean, we saw something the other day. What was it? It was an Under Armour hooded sweatshirt that had a John Deere logo on it. In our, like we were selling in our, in our, uh, <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, how much more brand specific could you get than that? You have Under Armour and then you have John Deere put together. It's like, uh, it's like, well, speaking of brands, I, I did notice the, I, I think your, uh, your brand you have up for your Moving Iron podcast is cool because it, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is it an anvil that's got a, that a combine on the back end of it? Is, did I nail that? Well, is that what that is? Yeah. So what I did was I gave an anvil. My brother-in-law's brother is a graphic design artist, you know. So I was like, okay, I want, you know, give me, give me, here's my idea. So I'm going to give you an anvil and there's a combine and see if you can't figure it out. Well, the anvil part of it is the combine. If you look at it, you'll see it. It's the, yeah. The, you'll see the cab and the grain, the grain bent or the grain auger and all that. And then the front of the angle of the, of the uh, anvil is the head. 
So yeah, it's a combine that looks like an anvil. So that's, I'm yeah. really, when I show it to people, most of them don't get it. They don't see, they don't see all that. But yeah, no, I was I was looking yeah. at it and I saw the anvil. It comes out right away. But then yeah. you look and you're like, oh, I see the I see the auger sticking. You know, yeah. would be on the left side, and the header and the cab would be the right yeah. side. No, I, I I honestly I just I happened to catch it and I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's the I get your design of it. I think it's cool. Yeah. Well, but, but yeah, John Deere and and it's just a it's a giant culture and maybe that's what is going to sustain some of this is, uh, you know, maybe it takes culture to sustain the inefficiencies until you get to the point that things are good again. Yeah. I mean, who knows, you know, there, there's gotta be a reason why some of these people stay in business that, you know, yeah. in every other facet or any other industry they would have been weeded out, you know, yeah. Well, I think I mean, John Deere's a great example of that. I think what they've done is they've they've kind of hinged. They they saw the the trend for technology a long time ago, and they started. Yeah. I mean, the integration into that to where we're at now. To where I mean, the machines that are coming out in twenty nineteen. I mean, so much of that technology is integrated. I mean, it's all there. I mean, you can't. You have to order it that way. It just comes that way. You don't. It's a base option. You know, and it's just it's all there now. It's just you know. And the technology end of it's really what is what has made that has made the John Deere, as far as I'm concerned, so powerful is the technology yeah. end of the business that they've kind of gone whole hog into. Yeah, and something I've I've had a kind of a beef with all the equipment companies is I think they've almost adapted technology too slow, mm -hmm. and and maybe it's because they had to you know slowly bring people into that technological era. I'm sure I'm sure that's one defense for it, but. <clears throat> Like the fact that we're still running CAN bus systems whenever we could, you know, mm -hmm. you could do so much with a wireless servers and, you know, there's so much technology that it's, and I don't, I kind of mean this in a mean way that like they still put a turtle and a bunny picture <laughs> on shit. <laughs> you know, they still put that. Right. Yet, yeah. Yet we're in the age of, I mean, the tech, the tech that's out there is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. But but we're still slow rolling with a bunny and a and a turtle. I well, mean, I think I think it's that that whole cultural thing, right? So yeah. there's a, there's a famous memo way back in John Deere history where I can't I'm I'm gonna mess it up. I know, but I can't. My time frame is gonna be off. But there was a a CEO of John Deere that said, "Hey, you know what? This whole tractor thing is stupid. We're gonna keep farming with horses, right? So just quit talking about." tractors because it's not going to happen right and he got fired and then the whole water blue boy thing came into play you know what i mean yeah. so but i mean it's that whole thing where you know we have autonomous vehicles now right if you have a brand new if you have a, a, a machine that was made in the last five years it can absolutely drive itself you yep. just have to be all they've done to it is like well you have to push this button though at the end of the row you hear this old, you push the button okay then everything folds up and you go back around and it takes off again and almost to the point now where you don't even have to do that anymore. You know, it just kind of does it for you. You kind of set your passes and you kind of get everything set up and mm -hmm. it follows your, you know, your, either your strip till tracks or whatever it is that you yeah. have set in place. I mean, we, we just monitor the monitors. I've said exactly that for right. last however many years. That's all I'm just, I'm on there monitoring the monitors. Yep. That's all I'm doing. And that's, and, and, and get on Twitter. You know, that's, <laughs> that's all I've done. That's what I love about Twitter, man. <laughs> You can tell when guys are when plant season's going on. You don't need a calendar. You don't need a calendar. 
between you know when you know when planting comes first. You know that's planting season, and then there's this huge wave on uh, on on Ag Twitter, and then without looking at a calendar again, you can tell when harvest starts because that's just yeah, it's just so much of it's automated anymore. You don't have to. You just you know, yeah. You know, I know an accountant that does. He sits in the cab of his combine and does accounting work while he's yeah. in the field cutting his wheat. You know, what I mean, it's just it's not it's not a far fetched deal. It's it's just there. So yeah, it's I a know. it's a trip. Well. Let's uh, tell me a little bit about your podcast before we uh, before we shut this thing down. You bet. Well, it's Ag Uncensored, and I'm just kind of getting it rolling. I don't. I have no idea when I, I think I've been doing it for a couple of months now. Uh, I'm learning as I go. It's kind of like I've referenced a minute ago. I decided I a long. Oh, I guess back in 2013 and 14, I did some kind of a. It's a it was Google Hangouts, mm-hmm. and it was with a network, some just some friends on the internet. Uh, it was called BTFD TV and we basically just got together and hung out and did these kind of discussions, long form conversation about ag stuff. It was great fun. And it was, and it was a, it was a learning experience for me because I, I technically hosted the show. Well, I think I did it for nine months, maybe a year. And uh, that was when my youngest daughter was born. And I was like, this, I can't, I can't commit the time. I can't do this and, and have kids and farm. And so I backed off of that. And uh, I always kind of had it in my head to, to bring it back in some form or fashion. And now that the kids are older and, and I've got a little more free time and, and everything's kind of rolling on good, I said, well, let's, let's try this. And I wanted to do something that was, was not super produced. It was just you fired up, you hit, just like what we did today, you just hit record and two people talk because – that's something that's I believe has been lost with marketing, with sound bites, with with conversation. I mean, the true art of just having a conversation, you know, that, that doesn't happen often because we're also busy. You know, the same reason we referenced earlier, if somebody somebody doesn't come out because guess what? I'm too busy. But right. but it's a way I take time and I stop and I visit with people and I hope people enjoy it. I mean, if they do, then they listen. If they don't, then. I'm at least having fun during the process. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's, 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 that's the matters. nexus of it. You know, I, I, fortunately with small town America being so run, not run down, but there's just so many buildings. You know, I, I was able to pick up a little building downtown from a friend for next to nothing. You mm-hmm. know, it was already halfway cleaned up, do a little cleaning, throw it in and boom, you've got a studio, you know, yeah. I'm taking what's the available supply that's around me. There's tons of buildings. There's great internet internet access in the country because we're not. What I found out in the cities, they have wonderful internet, but there's so many people that it's all bogged down. Yep. Well, now we're getting decent internet out here in the sticks, mm-hmm. but there's not any people, so it's not bogged down. Yeah. So, so it's kind of a perfect you know meeting of all these these factors coming together, and it's all just lined up to. Now I'm doing a podcast. Yep. You know, when no no real. You know, I'm just letting letting it go and see where we land. Yeah, you know, that's be great. That's what I love about doing my podcast, man. It's, you know, I started listening to podcasts probably five years ago. You know, like Joe Rogan and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, because it was, you know, it was I could listen to a two hour deal or Same a three here. hour deal or whatever it was. I didn't have to listen to, you know, every fifteen minutes there's you know commercials on or if you listen to any any of the radio stations with music on them, if you listen to the first, you know, seven or eight songs, you're just going to hear them and repeat throughout the day, you know, and it's just, 
you know, or talk radio, um, like political talk radio, whoever goes on first, I mean, they must just pass the list down to the next guy because they all say the exact same stuff over and over again. So my deal with podcasts is that you get the information that you want to get. It's niched. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. There might be another equipment-based podcast out there, but I haven't found it yet. Um, but somebody wants to know about what's happening in the world of equipment, whether we're talking about, you know, how the auction equipment's affecting the dealer or, or whatever it is. Yeah, that's what I'm just what I'm trying to put out there. Just information and the way I want to put it out there, not the way somebody yeah. else wants to put it out there. Yeah. Well, and that's why I, I appreciate you having me come on here and 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 I I want to find other, you know, independent content to me is awesome because you're doing it. You know, I know that any uh dryline farmer, I've talked to him, he's been on, he's doing it. That's and there's one, there's several podcasts, and I know yeah. I'm not gonna start making a list there's too many that I'm going to leave some off, but let's just say that there's, I love the fact that, cause it takes guts to go throw it out there because yeah. when you do it, you might be like, man, this is going to suck. Oh yeah. I'm like, I don't know why anybody's listening, but you know, the fact that you put it out there and, and to me that, that separates somebody who says that I, I want to do it, but then they don't somebody who does it. I don't care if it's good, bad, or otherwise it's still independent content. And that's something that is, you know, in today's soundbite society, you know, that's it's rare. And yeah. and I think it's making a comeback just because of, you know, I think people have it's too easy to access it now. Oh yeah. You know, you, I used to say that it, like cable access TV that guys in in towns, you know, you could watch that, but no one did. Well, you know, what what was our independent content growing up? It was whatever somebody got like a, a bootleg record. You know, right. or they or they got a mixtape of some some song that we'd never heard before. Yep. But now you're literally a click away. And with social media, you know, I can post a link and boom, yep. there's that many people that will at least that they at least see it. Right. It may suck and they may not want to come back or they may enjoy it and they may want to listen again. But at least that, you know, at least the opportunity is there. Yep. I mean, I can't even imagine how many generations of awesome independent content just died quietly because they couldn't even get the message out. Yep. And now we live in an age where you can at least present it. No one has to like it. Right. And if they don't like it, then that's on you to make it better. Yep. But at least, at least now we have that opportunity to connect yep. you know, in a way like I haven't seen before. Yeah. It's out there and it's easy to do. I thought when, oh. when I had this idea for a podcast, you know, I had this idea like five years ago. I was like, I'll put a podcast out there. You know, and then I'm like, yeah, but I listen to myself talk and I sound like, I tell myself I sound like an idiot. So I, I, I hate the way my voice sounds. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, if I'd have done it five years ago, who knows, who knows what it'd be now, but it's, it's, uh, it's an awesome thing. I enjoy doing it. And, um, yeah, I got think, think of what about five years from now, those guys that are going to start it then who would then say the same thing that, you know, mm. you, but we're, we're somebody's five years from now, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yep. That's how I look at it. Yep. Well, you you, you officially hold the record for the longest podcast here on the Midnight Podcast. <laughs> Good. I'm yeah. like you. I, I I don't I I could go I could go long podcast or because when I'm driving I will I don't mind doing a two or three hour podcast to listen to oh, yeah. because it's gonna take me that long to get somewhere. But I yeah. get some people. Some people they just you know 
they don't have that time to commit to it. Yeah. So long ones, long ones are hard to hard to pass on. I can see that side of it too. That's how I modeled when I first started doing it. I was like, well, I'll just model it like over here. The podcast it's famous and popular. You know, I'd model around the same idea. You know, I'd, Joe Rogan or one of my favorite podcasts, the Jocko podcast. You know. And, oh yeah. And um, I, I, Jocko's awesome. He's so cool. And I uh, I was like, well, he does four hour podcast, three hour podcast. Why not? Obviously, yeah. it works for him. You know. <laughs> First one I did, I did like two different podcasts together, and I was like, oh, it's just a hundred, hundred hour and a half. I mean, that's all it is, and it's two different podcasts, and I haven't broke up, you know, whatever. But it's the same. Oh, you would have thought that I'd just done something completely just evil with with some of the stuff from some of my close friends. Like, you expect me to listen to a podcast for an hour and twenty minutes? I'm like, what's well, two podcasts combined <laughs> together? It's not. It's just you know they're they're forty five minute podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't realize that. I was like. Read the damn show notes, and they'll tell you what they'll tell you what the podcast is about. But learning yeah. experience, so that's yeah. fun. Well, and I think that as you as you go along, and I, what I've found is that some people will listen all the way through. Some people are going to listen for ten minutes and say yeah. that that's not their cup of tea, and yep. that's fine. Yeah. You know, whatever. All right. Yeah, it's great. Yep. Well, Jared, man, I I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I could talk for another hour Likewise. and a half, and. And, and just as this, this kind of stuff, I just enjoyed, enjoy the hell out of it. So, um, yeah. well, thanks for having me on and, uh, I'll be looking forward to it and, and, you know, we'll see, see where it goes. Yeah. I think, I think we're in a, there's not very many of us doing it. There, there are more and more coming along, but I know, I think in ag circles, you know, it's going to be a pretty unique group once it all gets kind of weeded out. Right on, man. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And it's going to be a, be fun ride and I'm looking forward to where it goes. Sounds great. All right, man. You take care of yourself. You do. All right. Thanks. Uh, find Jared at Jared McDaniel's on or Jared McDaniel on Twitter and uh, check out his podcast. It's well worth listening to Ag Uncensored. So, what where can they find that at? Just by any of the podcasting platforms? Yeah, I've so far. I mean, I tried to get it on everything that I could. Mm-hmm. You know, iTunes or, or the iPod, Podbean, Stitcher. I just kind of went on a spree, and everyone I could find, I'd submitted it to. And so far, I don't think I've been kicked off any of the platforms. <laughs> Although I totally pirate music every week. So right, right. <laughs> I'm kind of waiting for that cease and desist letter of you need to stop playing our music. <laughs> but here's the deal. Yep. Not enough people even are remotely listening to it to yeah. ever get that. So while I have that freedom, guess what we're doing, kids? We're playing music. That's right. I'm doing the same <laughs> thing. I'm, I'm doing the same thing, man. So, well, yep. man, I appreciate you being on. And if I can do anything for you in the future, give me a shout. Same. Likewise. All right, buddy. Thanks. Take, take care. Right. Bye. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Jared for being a guest on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit at MovingIronLLC.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there'll be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. You can find this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher 
Move.